welcome to The Mary Mack Show, where we will be talking about your feelings, experiences, and pain following the death of a loved one. I want to thank you so much, Dory, for spending some time with me today. And just for a little background, Dory and I have been talking for a few months. And her father passed away. I think it was in March. Yes? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. And she graciously agreed to come on and speak to us about her experience, not only before he died, but also after. And so I want to welcome her. She's out in Indianapolis. She works at the University of Indiana Medical Center. Is that correct? The Children's Hospital. So it's the Riley Riley Hospital for Children here in Indianapolis. Riley Hospital for Children. And she does amazing work there. And we are really grateful that you're here. Thank I you. know that the audience is going to gain so much from your history and your knowledge and what you've been through. And it's only a few months since dad died. And I'm grateful that you're okay with talking about this now. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. And I'm glad we can make it work finally. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so first, I want to congratulate you because you're a newlywed. Uh, sort of, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I was wondering if you would start off by telling us a little bit about your background, how you were raised, where you where you lived, and um, your schooling and that kind of thing. Yeah. So I'm um, actually born and raised here in Indianapolis. Um, I grew up with my mom and dad. Um, I have an older sister who's about two and a half years older. She has moved out of state. Um, I see her frequently, but... Um, New Jersey is pretty far from here. So, um, so yeah, I grew up in a very loving home. Both my parents were amazing. Um, they divorced, um, at the end of my high school, but remained very amicable and, um, friends throughout everything, which was awesome. Um, I went to IU in Bloomington, Indiana for my undergrad, where I studied psychology, um, and then went to my master's program in, um, downtown Indianapolis for social work. Um, pretty much from there, I went right into my position as a pediatric social worker here in the emergency department at Riley, um, where I've been ever since. So it's been about about four years here. That's a very specialized area, isn't it? It is. Yes, it's very specialized. You get lots of um, lots of different types of things, um, but it, it definitely keeps you on your toes. <laughs> <laughs> and how long have you been at that hospital? It's been about four years now. Four years, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I love it. So tell us about your dad and how all of this started in your life. Yeah, so his diagnosis and everything, you mean? Please. So my dad, um, when my mom and him divorced, he actually moved to New Mexico. Um, So he has been living in Santa Fe for a long time. I can't even think of how many years it's been now. Um, he had a group of friends there that he loved and he would 
kind of bounced back and forth between Indiana, where I lived, and Santa Fe. So he'd come visit pretty frequently. Um, he had a house in Indy that he rented out. Um, so, gosh, let me think of my timeline. It would have been March of 2021. Um, he was visiting in town in Indianapolis and um, he went to the hospital and didn't tell anybody. <laughs> Such a dad thing to do. Um, <laughs> he, um, he got, a, he called us and let us know that um, he, they were telling him that he had a stroke. Um, so he was going to be admitted to the hospital for a few days. So this was, this was March of 2021. Um, so of course I went to the hospital and went to be with him. Um, they said they don't know what caused the stroke. Um, kept him for a couple of days and monitored him and then discharged him on some medication. Um, and he much, um, to my pushing him not to, he went back to Santa Fe. Um, um yes. So, uh, of course I was worried about him not being able to see him for a month, but we talked quite frequently. Um, and he came back again a month later. Was he incapacitated so from the stroke? No. So all of his symptoms were just left-sided tingling and that was it. So, mm-hmm. Which I was even surprised he went in because he was he put he was such a guy who pushed everything off, you know. So um, it had to have been going on long enough that he he went in for it, obviously. Um, so came back. I think it was the end of April, and his symptoms had gotten so much worse. Um, and wow. He hadn't seen yes, so he was having trouble kind of walking and moving his left foot, um, and he was really struggling with that and. Being in the healthcare field, I asked a few. I asked a few people I knew, and his symptoms should be, of course, getting better, not worse. Sure. So um, I forced him to go back to the hospital with me, um, where he had a repeat scan, and they came in pretty much right away and told us that they had actually misdiagnosed him with a stroke the first time. Oh wow! And it was it was a glioblastoma brain tumor. So that kind of started our very long journey. Um, from you know the moment they told us in in that ER room to kind of moving forward from there, so he he had his biopsy about a week later, um, and uh, his tumor was inoperable. Okay. So where it was in his brain, it was it was too deep um, to do anything. They said it would actually cause more deficits than um, than help trying to remove it, which it actually. I mean, even just the biopsy, that small needle. Um, caused uh, caused a lot of deficits for him. Um, so he went into the biopsy being able to fully walk, um, and he left with pretty much all of left sided paralysis. Whoa! Wow. So he never um, he never walked again after that, unfortunately, which kind of just really added really added some um, you know I mean it just made everything so much more difficult because of course you know this incurable type of diagnosis. Now you can't walk for the rest of your life either. So yeah, it was really, it was really rough. Um, so from there, um, my sister, my mom and I just really kind of rallied around him and moved him to his house in Indiana, um, to, to spend the rest of his, his life there, um, and care for him. My mom is a flight attendant and they still aren't together. She just she was coming back to help him out of the kindness of her heart because she's an awesome person. Um, I know it's great. And then my sister, she um, kind of started making her schedule from New Jersey. She thankfully could work from home, um, which was helpful. 
so we all just kind of made a schedule um, to to take care of him the best we could. Um, so my mom and I kind of split half the month and my sister came in when she could as well um, to, to be there and care for him. Just, you know, immediately we, we knew we wanted to keep him in the house um, and not go into a facility partially because COVID was going on, but um, also because he wanted to be in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted to make whatever the rest of his time was going to be the best possible because he deserved that. So um, that was our goal. It was, it was obviously a very rough and um, tumultuous journey at times, but um, it was, you know, we, we were able to keep him in the home and, and care for him the best that we could. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. Wow. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So would you tell me in the process of this time when he was home, did you speak about death and dying with him? Did he have fear? Did you have fear? And was it verbalized among you and your sister and mom too? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I don't, I still don't know if he, um, he, he was in denial um, throughout most of the, the nine months from diagnosis to death. Um, but I also, I also think part of it was, I mean, he had a brain tumor, so it was hard for him to process things. So I think it was a mixture of, um, denial and having a brain tumor that made it difficult to have conversations like that with him. Mm -hmm. Um, we were definitely able to, um, it just wasn't as easy as it could have been, um, in another scenario, you know? So, um, my family, my mom and sister and I had lots of conversations about it. Um, we did, we did talk to my dad. He was, he was very afraid of dying, um, which was, it was awful because, um, glioblastoma is, it is incurable. Um, so always from the start, we did, we did have treatment for him in the beginning, um, which was always just to, um, prolong his quality of life. It was never to prolong his, his life. Um, length of life. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Um, he, it was just, it always added a little bit of difficulty because he always thought that he could get better from it. And every stage that we went through, um, treatment, palliative care and hospice, um, his goal was to always heal and, and, you know, be, be who he was, which was, was really hard. And it's a hard thing to tell somebody that you're never, you're not going to be that way again. So, um, did you, there was, were you the one who basically told him dad, this is incurable or was it your mom or sister? Yeah. Um, it was me. Um, you know, I think my mom and sister had some conversations with him too, but, um, being in the healthcare field, I think that kind of just fell more on me and being a social worker uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I did want to be there for him. I never, you know, it was, it was, I never right out told him that, you know, in a mean way that this was going to kill him, but I did want to have conversations with him about what he wanted and, um, like moving forward with his care. So, um, I did, yes, we approached it with him. Um, it's, he was never a man of many words. Um, he liked writing a lot more than he liked to speak. So it was really hard for him to, um, have those conversations, but when he opened up, then it was, it was great to be able to um, process with him and, and talk with him. So I'm glad that I was able to, but, um, 
but yeah, there was, there was some difficulty with that because of, because of his diagnosis. Wow. Okay. So tell me about the emotional and physical toll this took on everybody, especially you. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was a lot. I mean, we never questioned doing it right away. We all, all three of us signed up, um, for however long it was going to be, we were going to make this experience the best experience for him possible and give him the best end of life experience that we could. Um, but that was by far not an easy thing to do. Um, it really truly was probably the hardest nine months of my life. Um, and my mom and sisters, we really, um, we really put our lives on hold to do that for him and I would do it again, but, um, it absolutely was, it took a toll on, it took a toll on every aspect of our lives. Um, I'm married, my sister's married as well. So, um, we didn't see our husbands often. They were amazing and very supportive of us. Um, I had just recently bought a house, um, and I barely was there because I was with my dad most of the time, Mm -hmm. um, caring for him. And, um, I really just, it was either working or I was at my dad's house kind of working and taking care of him. Um, so there was never really any downtime. Um, there was never, it's hard to, I mean, you can't have anybody tell you how this is going to go. You know, the doctors can say there's a prognosis or how long they think it's going to last and how long, you know, he, he could have to survive, but they truly, I mean, they can't give you a number. So it's hard to predict. Um, it's hard to predict how, how it was going to go is what I'm trying to say, I guess. Um, no, I thoroughly understand. I, I yeah. thoroughly understand because I've been through this with a few of my relatives and, and you yeah. think it's going to be one period of time. And the next thing you know, it's either elongated or shortened and then you're surprised. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, it was really hard to see him living this this low quality of life. I mean, as much as we wanted to give him the best experience we could, he was paralyzed. He couldn't do anything that he loved. Um, he was relying on us for absolutely everything, which is, was so hard for him, um, you know, to, to be that strong figure in our lives and then, um, go to relying on us to take him to the bathroom. That's, um, you know, it's so, it's such a vulnerable position for him to be in. So his quality of life, in my opinion, um, was not, it was not very good. Um, as much as I wanted him to stay, you know, with me here, um, it was, you know, I don't, I don't think, I don't think it was obviously the best thing for him to continue living like that, mm-hmm. which obviously grappling with those emotions of feeling guilty of not wanting him to, to live in that way. And then, um, you know, wanting him to be here with you, there's just so many emotions you experiences and fluctuations of them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. As a caretaker, but also as a daughter and, um, trying to take care of him. It was, it's a lot. So, you know, there's, um, it was, yeah, that just, it was a lot of emotions going through every stage really. Yeah. Yeah. And the conversations you were able to have with your dad toward the end, Mm -hmm. um, were you able to, first of all, I mean, was he so incapacitated that you just couldn't? So no, um, he, he was never, um, mentally, he was pretty much with it till maybe like the last month and a half. Um, 
but he, he, he always knew who we were. Um, he always could talk. He, um, we could have conversations with him and talk to him about, um, certain things, but he, you know, if you, if you brought anything up serious or end of life related or, you know, anything like that, he, he always would say, let's just talk about it later. (laughs) (laughs) Which I mean, I get it. You know, it's hard for him to, to want to face his own. I mean, to be faced with your own mortality, that is just a horrible, a horrible thing. Living life normally one day. And then, um, you know, walking around shopping. And then the next day you're incapacitated and being faced with your impending death is, I mean, that's something that I would hope nobody would really have to experience, but, um, but we were able to have certain conversations. Um, we talked about, we had to set up his, um, his trust for him. Right. And power of attorney and paperwork like that, um, as well. I thought he had all that stuff done, um, which <laughs> sort of did. It was I, just, I can I can attest that my parents didn't either. We don't. Yeah. Either. <laughs> you know, he sort of did. It was just wildly outdated. So uh-huh. it was so old. Um, and he, right before his biopsy and after he was told that he has a brain tumor, um, he he let my sister and I know that we needed to, we, we needed to update it. Um, so that's what we started doing right away was getting that updated, but that was such a long experience and it just, I mean, it's overwhelming, isn't it? Very overwhelming. Yes. So it, it was a long, it was a long process, um, to kind of go through that and then power of attorney, getting that set up healthcare representative, um, which I was his healthcare rep and my sister and I were both his power of attorney. Um, about getting all that set up, lawyer back and forth, lots of paperwork to sign. And then adding onto that, my dad not wanting to do any of it because he just wanted to push it off till later. Yeah. <laughs> he wanted to just get it done. Yeah. Um, yeah, it didn't, it didn't make it very easy. Would have been great if it was done beforehand. Yes, it would. Yeah. I think um, people don't realize how messy all of that can be. And you, you were very fortunate because your mom and your sister are both on the same page with you and you knew it had to be done and there was no greed and it was just, we got to get this done for dad, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. My, um, my dad actually said, um, when we were starting to go through everything that, um, he had experienced some family members, um, kind of arguing over a trust in the past and he didn't want us to, to do that, which of yeah. course we never would, but, um, we assured him we wouldn't, which we never did. <laughs> um, so it was, um, you know, everybody, everybody agreed on everything, but of course it's a very long process. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, and also, you know, DNRs and all that kind of thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when do you, when do you say enough is enough? Do you know what I mean? Unless that person expires, dies, leaves us, you know, Mm -hmm. on their own. Yeah, absolutely. And that was a hard thing for him too. Um, he made me his healthcare representative. Um, and we had talked about, you know, what to do if something were to happen to him. Um, he, you know, being in, in the process of dying and being in denial, um, wanted, he wanted everything done for him. Um, I eventually we talked to him and he, 
he understood um, CPR is an awful thing to come back from, first of all, but, and it's such a harsh thing on your body. Um, and he was, unfortunately, I mean, he was dying. So um, we kind of all came to an agreement on everything towards the end, but it was, um, yeah, it was a hard thing to talk to him about. It almost felt like um, I was pushing him towards, you know, just letting go, which was a hard feeling. Um, yeah, I would think, I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. So thankfully my mom and sister were with me the whole time and it was great um, being able to do it with them um, and being blessed to have that support system was very helpful. And when he did pass, um, was he at home under hospice care? He was. Yeah. So it was nine months diagnosis to death, about nine months. Um, about five of those months he was in treatment. So I, I put him in palliative care right away because I know how right. amazing palliative care can be, um, mm -hmm. working in the healthcare field. They're awesome. So I wanted him to be in that right away. Um, and the, the program we chose transitions him to hospice when, when it was time. Um, so we, we stayed in the home the whole time. Um, he, he did eventually pass in the home. Yes. Um, I'm sorry, five, five months he was having treatment. Yes. Chemo radiation we went through and then hospice came in and, um, said that it was probably time to, to transition him. Um, which again, that was a hard conversation with my dad. Um, I mean, you know, as what hospice is and he kind of felt like that was giving up. Um, but chemo so hard on the body and, um, it just wasn't doing anything for him anymore. Um, so we, we did make the decision to put him into hospice and about four more months he was, he, he lived and he died in the home, um, after a very long seizure. So he lived about four days after the seizure and then, um, and then passed away in his bed. Wow. Yeah. That's a yeah. long, long process, isn't it? It was a very long journey. Yes. Um, I'm thankful that we were able to keep him in the home and, um, thankful that we had such a great support system, um, to be able to help us through that. Um, because it's not, it was not easy. It really was not easy in any aspect. Um, but his, his team too, his hospice team and his palliative care team, I can't say enough great things about them. They were so helpful. That's great. Yeah. So I want to thank you so much for sharing all this with us. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Must've been really difficult. Yeah, it was difficult. Um, but like I said, thankfully, I, I really was blessed to have a good support system, um, which I know, I know not everybody is able to have that. And I, I truly could not, I would not have been able to do this experience. We would not have been able to keep him in the home if we didn't have such a good, a good support system and the means to do it. I mean, that was important because insurance barely covers some of the most important aspects of, of his care. Yes. Yeah. So we were, um, we were very blessed to be able to do that and, um, give him the best experience possible. Thank you so much, Dory. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so grateful yeah. that we were yeah. able to chat. And I think this will really help a lot of people to better understand yeah. their process. I hope so. Thank you. Ooh.